Hello there, I am your host, Maxidone, and welcome to the third episode of the Max on Wheels podcast. And for those people who I told I'm doing Peak of Plymouth, well, I made some last-minute changes, and it's going to be about the 1995 Corvette ZR1. It kind of falls in the same ballpark, very unorthodox and very revolutionary at the time, and had technology that nobody really was having in their car at that time when when a Corvette came out. So let me just dive right into it, shall we? So when you first see the car, it's not really much of a sight to look at. I mean, it's kind of blocky, no mid-90s styling that, you know, is much different than it is today. And when you want to go into the car, the door handles are pretty cheap, pretty much like all GM cars from the mid-90s. Oh, but although it does have a pretty satisfying clicking sound when you open it, which I think is one of my favorite. <laughs> so they do some pretty crazy stuff. They You can have like a blue on black or red on black, or you can have a red on red. I think the red on red with things a little bit too soon because the 80s kind of just passed, get what I'm saying. But Anyway, you have to sit very low because, you know, it's a sports car and you're greeted by kind of a blocky steering wheel with a digital interface, mid-90s technology gauge cluster, which is pretty crazy if you really think about it, mid-90s and you have a gauge cluster that's telling you exactly how fast you're going with little digital numbers. And if you get one, you can have to deal with that mid-90s technology that isn't really the finest out there. But still, back then, imagine seeing that was been pretty, pretty cool. To me, when I think about it, mid-90s, they're they just digital interface onto the car. And just to put things in perspective, the next generation Corvette, which is newer, didn't have that. It had the normal analog gauge cluster, and also the generation after that. But then not only, but then it got reintroduced in the seventh generation, which is the new one that's out right now. But also the new C8 mid-engine Corvette is coming out very soon, which is going to be very exciting. I am definitely going to do a podcast episode on that car because personally, I like Corvettes. But although I'm not interested having a midlife crisis. In my early 20s. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know when Corvettes became a punchline for Miller Crisis joke, but hey, the cool cars. <laughs> so anyway, the the tachometer is with the needle, but the speedometer, the mileage, and the gas gauge is all in digital, which is, again, pretty impressive. Also with the radio, AM and FM, and if you look over it, you see a screen. You're like, oh my god, do they have like a touchscreen in 1995. Calm down, calm down. It's not a touchscreen. It's just a humongous panel for all of your warnings. So if you let, so if you look over, you can just see a bunch of lights flashing. It's like they just they just put oh light there, light there, light there. It was kind of like when Pontiac was designing the Firebird for the late 70s. They put like fire chicken, fire chicken, fire chicken, fire chicken all over the car, fire on seats, the hood, the trunk. It's it's crazy. It's kind of like GM with the lights on the new Corvette. So the radio FM AM was also digital. Came standard with a six-speed manual transmission and for and for those people who don't know me in person i love six-speed manuals i think they're pretty cool my second favorite is four-speed and last my fifth is five-speed manuals but anyway i think all manuals are super cool and i think i wish to bring back manuals to newer cars now but getting back to the corvette and the seats are 
or in leather. The pretty much the whole interior is in leather. But also they kind of do have the shoulder parts are coming out of it to kind of hug you. So if you go around corners, you don't fly over the place. So you kind of have the best of both worlds when you have the luxury and you have the racing seats. So you can go racing, but also you can cruise in it. Also, it had just under... 30 cubic inches of trunk space, which is, from looking at it, just gonna say 28 cubic inches around that area from 20 to 30. Pretty, pretty big trunk space, even for just normal cars, and also even for the cars they was competing with. Practicality, the Corvette took it all. It didn't have bad gas mileage too, got 17 city, 23 highway, which, again, for a 5.7 liter V8 tuned by Lotus, which I can't believe. Actually got that good gas mileage? I I don't know, probably because of the exhaust has like freaking 12 mufflers down on it because, you know, mid-90s. But anyway, besides from the trunk, when you go up in front to the hood, they don't come up like normal cars. They don't, the, the hood doesn't come up from the from the nose of the car. The Corvette comes up from the windshield. So you pop the hood, a little latch goes loose, and then you just pull it open from the windshield and it exposes the shocks, the suspension, the whole engine, and even you can see the little pop-up headlights if you if you look down the hood, which is pretty cool. It's kind of Corvette's signature hood, like, yeah, see, yes, Corvette's signature hood. So, like I said, under that hood, you'll find a 5.7 liter V8 engine tuned by Lotus, a British company for people who don't know what Lotuses are. They're known for taking Toyota Corolla engines, dumping them into a car that weighs less than 2,500 pounds, tuning the heck out of it, putting some twin turbos on it and calling it a day. I think it's pretty cool, but they're known to be impossible to fix and have very high maintenance costs, kind of like Ferraris. <laughs> so they tuned a pretty practical engine, making pretty good gas mileage. What's not to love? And also I think the Corvette has the coolest pop-up headlights ever, or should I say rotating headlights? Yes, you heard me right. When you turn on the headlights, and when you look at it, it looks pretty mainstream. It looks pretty slick with it down. So, but I think the people Corvette like, oh, when the with it up, it doesn't really look that mainstream. It doesn't look as slick with just coming out of the hood. So they did this. Since the light was, and when it was down, it was sitting towards you, it actually rotated 180 degrees to face out. But since it was kind of, since on the bottom, it was kind of a whole new piece designed to kind of go with the car, it looks good with the lights down and looked amazing with the lights up. I don't prefer the car with the, with the lights up on it, which is pretty surprising. I mean, there are a lot of other cool pop-up headlight cars like the Nissan 240SX, the Mazda Miata, but they just come up way too far for me. They look good, but they just come up too far and I look at videos, people driving them, it looks like it gets in the way of you driving. Yes, they come up that much, but for the Corvettes, because they kind of have a slanted nose almost, you don't really even notice them almost. Plus, if you do, they aren't really that big either. So with that and the rims, gotta say, the one downside of it, don't really like it at all. And you can pick one of these up in 1990 to 1995. Corvette, 01 to same, 1990 to 1995. 
they were all pretty, they were all pretty much the same. All had the same engine, same interior. Just had minor uh, changes, I'd say, for the rims. But you can get one for mm, looked at one a zero one in the aqua blue color, and I saw it for twenty three thousand dollars. For, with only 22,000 miles on it. And they would say, okay, Max, that's that's nice for a used Corvette. Well, what's in it? So what if I told you, you can guaranteed make all of your money back within the next mm, 10 to 20 years. Well, if you have patience, you don't have patience and this is not the car for you. So I'm just tell you why. So here are the colors of the car. So the most made color in bright red, um, 2,380 examples were made from 1990 to 1995. But if you go down from the bright aqua metallic, which is kind of the aqua blue I was saying about, found for 23,000, only 54 of them were made through 1990 to 1995. The one I found was the 1994 model, and only five of them were made in that color. So if you can find one, <laughs> go for it. Also, the one with the least made color, it was the dark purple metallic. Only 25 of them were ever made. All all of them were only made in 1995. So if you see one, but it says 1994, 1993, you know it's repainted, go for it anyway. But if you find a 1995 dark purple metallic, you're you're in for a lot. And in even all of them, let's say the, ru- the ruby red metallic, 245 examples were made. So I'm saying you can buy a car that's super cheap, pretty reliable for a daily driver, six-speed manual, and it's gonna go up in value? Why not? The only one thing downside is, of course, I've seen the 90s technology, and also because mid-90s GM, their cars were really known for their practical, don't get me wrong, but their interior were known to just fall up. So if you can keep your interior in good conditions, if you see some problems, if you fix it quickly, bam, but you just let them be, like, next time you know your whole freaking door panels will be coming off the car. It's that bad. But if you can get around all of that, it's overall just a really, really great car. And for the price it's at, 405 horsepower for a two-door sports car that can take the car shows, it kind of gets more when why not buy one, like I've like I already said. So I really hope you enjoyed the third episode. It was on the short notice, so this may be a little shorter than usual. And forgive me of my poor editing. You know, it's only my second time editing audio ever. So if you hear my voice cut off or some mumbo-jumbo words, don't worry, I'll get better. And leave some comments for me of what next topic I should do, because I kind of want to do something that you guys as listeners want to want to hear from me. So I really hope you enjoyed it. And I really, really do hope you have a great rest of your day. And I'll see you guys in the next podcast episode. Bye.